deceivers. I'm sure we all realize that the world is filled with deceitful people who are constantly trying to deceive us. Uh, For example, there are deceptive politicians, and I know that sounds redundant, but, you know, there are deceptive politicians who use deceptive measures in order to advance their political agenda, and there are also professional propagandists who deceive us as they pretend to present unbiased news on the mainstream media. There are deceptive mechanics who try to trick us into paying for repairs that we really don't need. And let's not forget about the deceptive scammers there on the internet who use the tricks of their trade in order to acquire our personal information so that they can begin to siphon our money. Uh, For example, it was just two weeks ago when a scammer set out to deceive our leaders here at Calvary South Austin. This deceptive schemer created a Gmail account. I think it was something like I'm a liar.gmail.com or something like that. But then they proceeded to place a label on that account and it was my name and title. So the people that got this email thought they were getting an email from Pastor Bungie Garrett. Uh, the, the, the person who sent out this email, uh, he sent the, the email to uh, anyone connected with a calvarysouthaustin.com email account. And the leaders who actually responded to this email, well, they were being asked if they would be willing to help me bless the staff here by secretly purchasing eight gift cards with $100 on each gift card. And, and then the person was asking uh, to respond to this email by sending the gift card numbers, you know, so that they could uh, catalog all this information. Well, thankfully, the plan of this scammer was so just completely stupid uh, that uh, no one actually fell for this deceptive scheme. But had someone on, uh, you know, on our staff or someone with an uh, with a email account from our church actually followed through, they would have been scammed out of $800. Unfortunately, you know, uh, there are people who fall for these sorts of scams. There are people who, who have fallen victim to the deceptive schemes of those who do a better job disguising themselves than that guy did. Uh, for example, there are those who become the victims of the internet scammers who disguise themselves as IRS agents. Y'all, you'll get an email and it's from the IRS as if the IRS is going to email you. And, and there's people that are just filled with fear. Oh, I got, I got to take care of this real quick. And let me give them all my information. And next thing you know, their bank account is drained. There are those who have also become the victims of deceivers who disguise themselves as employees of the bank where, where we do our transactions. There are those who end up being scammed by deceivers who disguise themselves as officers of the law who are only calling, you know, because they want to raise some money for the victims of violent crimes. And who doesn't want to give money to the victims of violent crimes? Personally, I'm still waiting for that million dollar check from that Nigerian prince whose father recently passed away. What's worse than all of this, though? Well, it's that there are deceivers in the 21st century church who have actually disguised themselves as Christian leaders. And with that being the case, we would do well to spend some time today considering the way that these deceivers disguise themselves in order to deceive us. As we make our way through the scriptures before us today, uh, we'll begin to see, first of all, that deceivers disguise their appearance. Secondly, we'll learn that deceivers disguise their appetite. Thirdly and finally, we'll learn that deceivers disguise their agenda. Well, with this as our outline, let's open our Bibles to Luke chapter 20. Here we find the Lord Jesus. He's actually exposing the deceptive disguise of the religious leaders known as the scribes. 
And as you make your way to the 20th chapter of Luke's gospel account, I just want to take a moment to put our text back into its context. It'll first help us to remember that the Lord Jesus was actually teaching there at the temple in Jerusalem, and he suddenly found himself surrounded by a group of religious leaders who were determined to interrogate our Savior. According to Luke, this group not only included the priests of Israel, but our Savior was also surrounded by the Sadducees as well as the Pharisees, and last but not least, the scribes. It's here in our text today where we find Jesus. He's now singling out the scribes who were engaging in spiritual deception. And with this as the focus, let's pick up our study of Luke chapter 20. I want to begin reading there at verse 45. Here Luke writes, Then in the hearing of all the people, he said to his disciples, Beware of the scribes who desire to go around in long robes, love greetings in the marketplaces, the best seats in the synagogues, and the best places at feasts who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers, these will receive greater condemnation. Now here in these verses, we find the Lord Jesus. He's actually warning his disciples about the deceptive ways of the scribes. And just to be clear, it'll help you to know that the scribes in the context of Judaism, well, the scribes were academic experts who were well-versed in the Mosaic law, as well as the rest of the sacred writings that we find throughout the Old Testament. The scribes were skilled scholars who spent their time examining the more difficult and subtle questions about the Mosaic law. They also served in the Sanhedrin, which was Israel's highest court of justice. And it was there in the Sanhedrin where the scribes provided interpretations and instructions from the Torah so that biblical justice might be achieved. So if somebody was brought in as a lawbreaker, well, then the scribes would then go and find what the Torah says about that crime and what the proper punishment would be. As we consider this important role and the responsibility of the scribes, there should be no doubt that these men were called to live above reproach. Just like any judge that we have here in the land today, you know, we expect them to be above reproach. And so these scribes were expected to to live a life above reproach so that they might lead the people, not by their words only, but also by their example. With that being the case, it's sad to say that most of the scribes who were serving during the days of Jesus Christ? Well, they were no longer walking worthy of their calling with which they were called. They weren't living above reproach. They weren't setting the right example. No, they were deceivers. And so rather than endorsing the scribes, rather than coming along and saying, yeah, the scribes, they're doing it right, follow them. No, Jesus warned his disciples. He warned his disciples about the deceptive desires which were hidden in the hearts of those religious leaders. And so Jesus said, beware. Beware of the scribes. As a matter of fact, look with me again here, beginning at verse 46, the Lord Jesus again declares, beware of the scribes who desire to go around in long robes. Now, that word desire, it's translated from a Greek word which was used of the inclinations that create our intentions. The same Greek word is used in reference to the wishful wants that drive our willful actions. For this reason that Robert Young rendered the original Greek in this way. Take heed of the scribes who are wishing to walk in long robes. In other words, the scribes were these religious leaders who loved to be seen wearing the finest clothes. They wanted to be recognized as religious leaders by the clothing that they wore. And just to be clear, the long robes that they uh, they loved wearing, they weren't just expensive upper-class garments. Instead, they loved wearing the 
religious vestments that helped others to see that they were men of spiritual significance. Simply put, the scribes were these religious leaders who wanted to make sure that everyone else knew who they were and they wanted to make sure they were, they were receiving the respect that they felt they deserved from the rest of Israel. And so they would wear these long religious robes. And not only that, but they would increase the size of their phylacteries, kind of like Flava Flav wearing a clock around his neck. They desperately wanted others to place them upon a pedestal. And this was precisely the point that Jesus was making in Matthew chapter 23. Here, Jesus describes the scribes in this way. He says, all their work they do to be seen by men. They make their flactories broad and enlarge the borders of their garments. They love the, ble- the, the, the best places at feasts and the best seats in the synagogues, greetings in the marketplaces, and to be called by men, rabbi, rabbi. From this, we can see that the scribes there in the first century, they really weren't interested in becoming servants of our Savior. No, instead, they were more interested in the prestige that they would receive as people called to them in the marketplace, Rabbi, Rabbi. They wanted the people of Israel to acknowledge their position of religious power and in an attempt to help others to properly identify them, they felt like they needed to stand out from all the other people. And so they would wear these long, ridiculous robes with exaggerated borders and oversized phylacteries, all for their own glory. This wasn't about the glory of God. This was about the glory of self. Let's consider once again how Jesus describes them here in Luke chapter 20. If you would, let's back up once again and begin reading at verse 46. Here Jesus declares, Beware of the scribes who desire to go around in long robes, love greetings in the marketplaces, the best seats in the synagogues, and the best places at feasts. Here in these verses, we find the Lord Jesus continuing to help his disciples to understand the sinful ways of the scribes. And just to be clear, listen, Jesus isn't suggesting that those who wear their Sunday best on Sunday, you know, are sinning. You know, it's not a sin to wear your Sunday best. You can come to church with the best clothes that you have on. There's nothing wrong with that. You can also come uh, to church, you know, with with a T-shirt tucked into your shorts if you'd like. I mean, that's okay too, I guess. You can wear socks with sandals if you're German. You know, that's all right. really doesn't matter how you're dressed. The question is, why are you dressing the way you're dressing? Is it for your glory? It's not a sin for religious leaders to, to wear special clothing. You know, I, I have pastor buddies who are part of other denominations and they have religious, you know, robes, investments and these sorts of things. And, you know, I'm glad I don't have to wear that stuff. If you see me in a suit, it's because I'm either going to marry him or bury him. It's one or the other. But uh, don't really care to dress up like that. But it's not wrong to. It's not wrong for a pastor to put on a really nice suit. Unless it's for their own glory. The religious leader who is wearing special clothing in order to help other people put them on a pedestal, well, that's wrong. 
And those who shroud themselves in religious robes because they desire the glory that actually belongs to God, they're nothing more than deceivers who are using religious apparel to disguise their sinful appearance. Listen, we don't need special coverings to cover our sins. We we need the the righteous covering, covering of Jesus Christ to cover our sins. But these guys, they covered themselves in these robes of righteousness so that they could receive the praise of men. And it's for this reason that the Lord rebukes them in Matthew chapter 23. It's here, beginning at verse 25, where Jesus declares, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you cleanse the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of extortion and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first cleanse the inside of the cup and dish, that the outside of them may be clean also. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautiful outwardly, but inside are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. Even so, you also outwardly appear righteous to men, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Now here in these verses, we find the Lord Jesus challenging the scribes and the Pharisees. And the reason why? Well, it's because they were nothing more than religious hypocrites who were more worried about how they looked on the outside than they were with the state of their own hearts. Well, it's true that they spent a great deal of time maintaining an appearance of godliness. It's also true that they were nothing more than ravenous wolves who were hiding behind the facade of sheep's clothing. In order to further grasp the point that I'm seeking to make, I want to consider the word of warning that Paul presents when he warns the Christians in Corinth about the religious leaders who were deceiving the people with their appearance there in the first century. And with this as the focus, hold your place here in the Gospel of Luke and let's turn in our Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Now, as you make your way to the 11th chapter of 2 Corinthians, I just want to take a moment to consider a recent Barna poll, which helps us to see that the majority of pastors here in America don't actually have a biblical worldview. That's a recent poll recently released by by Barna, and, and, and it reveals that the majority of pastors, here's the number, 37% of the pastors here in the U.S. actually hold a biblical worldview. Just 37%. 37% of the pastors here in the U.S. actually have a worldview that has been identified by the Bible. What about the rest of them? Some other worldview. An unbiblical worldview. Is it personal opinion? Is it satanic deception? I don't know the difference between the two, but it's not biblical. In order to drill down into this data, it'll help you to know that if we single out the senior pastors, the, number, the, the numbers actually improve a little bit. So 41% of senior pastors who responded to this poll actually held a biblical worldview. So just talking about senior pastors, yeah, 41% say, you know, are, are right in line with the scriptures. Yeah, less than half. What about assistant pastors? Well, the numbers drop down a, a bit more. As for assistant pastors, 28% actually have a biblical worldview. And and what's even more alarming is that according to the same poll, 
12% of America's youth pastors actually hold a biblical worldview. 12%. And well, I have no doubt that many of these pastors are putting on their Sunday best every Sunday as they head off to, to their church. We can be certain that most of these are deceivers who have disguised their appearance so that they look like sheep when in reality, they're spiritual wolves. With this in mind, I want to consider the warning that Paul presents here in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. If you would look with me there, beginning at verse 12. Here Paul declares, What I do, I will also continue to do, that I may cut off the opportunity from those who desire an opportunity to be regarded just as we are in the things of which they boast. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. And no wonder. For Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness, whose end will be according to their works. In these verses, we find Paul, he's helping the Christians in Corinth to understand why he was doing what he was doing. And what was he doing? Well, he, he was trying to stop false teachers from gaining the opportunity to enter the church and deceive people. And so he's helping them to understand, listen, it's not unusual for the servants of Satan to disguise themselves as ministers of righteousness. And as we consider the recent survey that, that I just referred to, you know, regarding the pastors who no longer have a biblical worldview, well, you better believe that the churches here in America, by and large, have been infiltrated by these deceivers who have disguised their appearance, much like the scribes who clothed themselves with the robes of righteousness, so that they could simply lead people astray. This brings us to our second point, because listen, doctrinal deceivers will not only disguise their appearance so that they, uh, as wolves, look like sheep, but then doctrinal deceivers go on to disguise their appetite as well. Yeah, they want to disguise their appetite because they're there to consume sheep. To explain what I mean, let's make our way back to Luke chapter 20. Here we find the Lord Jesus continuing to warn his disciples about the disguise worn by deceivers. And with this as the focus, let's back up. Let's begin reading once again at verse 46. Here Jesus declares, Beware of the scribes who desire to go around in long robes, love greetings in the marketplaces, the best seats in the synagogues, and the best places at feasts, who devour widows' houses. I want to stop right here. I want to consider the appetite of these scribes. For the sake of clarity, the word appetite, in a physical sense, it refers to that desire to eat. And listen, it's there at the end of verse 46 where we learn that the scribes not only loved the best seats at the synagogues, but they also desired the best places at the feasts. And we're referring to these formal meals that were oftentimes held after an evening sacrifice or, or during the pilgrimage uh, feasts, you know. And, and I have no doubt that they loved the best seats at these formal meals. And the reason why is because they had an appetite for the best cuts of meat. And, and knowing that the best cuts of meat would be snatched up quickly, well, they wanted the best seats so that they could get the food that they wanted first. Yeah, they didn't put others first. They put themselves first. And while we can be certain that they had a, a natural appetite for the best food at the feasts, well, we can also be certain that they also had an appetite 
for the finer things in life. And in this sense, the word appetite, it speaks of the inherent cravings that create the desires that we have for the lustful things of this world. According to the Lord Jesus, the scribes were these religious leaders who had an appetite for the wealth of this world. And while they loved to present themselves as being the humble servants of God, they were simultaneously scamming elderly Israelites out of their inheritance. Let's consider how Jesus puts it again there in verse 47. Here he informs us that the scribes were devouring widows' houses. Now that word devour was translated from a Greek word, which was used in reference to those who consume food by eating. And so it does talk about that natural appetite. But at the same time, the same word was used metaphorically of those who cause destruction by utterly consuming something. And not only that, but the same word was also used of those who squander or waste the wealth that they've acquired. Or to put it in the words of Greek scholar Spiros Zodiades, this word was used of those who consume or spend in riotous or luxurious living as they eat up one's paternal estate or substance. They take every bit of the inheritance that they can from their parents and they just waste it on riotous living. I like the way that the scholars who created the New Living Translation rendered verse 47. They put it like this. They shamelessly cheat widows out of their property and then pretend to be pious by making long prayers in public. In other words, the scribes were pretending to be pious people who were simply, you know, looking to the elders of the community for funds that they could use to continue humbly serving the Lord And yet what they were actually doing was using their leadership position to acquire all the money that they could. And they were using their position as a platform for scamming elderly widows out of their inheritance. And after acquiring the properties of those unsuspecting Israelites, the scribes would just go on and satisfy their own carnal appetites by wasting the wealth they acquired on whatever they lusted after. It's for this reason that Christ Jesus presented the scribes with yet another woe. As a matter of fact, it's in Matthew chapter 23. Here the Lord declares, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. Blind guides who strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. The Lord here is using a humorous hyperbole as he describes the hypocrisy of the scribes and the Pharisees. Jesus, you know, describes these men as those who were meticulous at maintaining the finest points of the Old Testament law. So they would, they would weigh out to the nth, you know, measurement the, the anise and the cumin, and, and, and they, would, they would tithe specifically exactly what was owed. They would even go forth and, and, and strain a gnat out of whatever they were drinking, lest they possibly swallow a gnat that has blood in it from an unkosher animal, and then turn around and swallow an entire, uh, an entire camel, which... It's important to know that camels were unkosher animals. So they're putting on a show of it. Oh yeah, I got to get this gnat out of, out of my wine because it might be unkosher. 
while turning around and, and, and just completely consuming an entire camel. You might be thinking, how do you eat an entire camel? It's very simple, just one bite at a time. But they were hypocrites. They were pretending to follow the law while at the same time consuming every sinful thing that they could get their hands on. In front of those that they were scamming, they pretended to be righteous, but then behind closed doors they were doing every sinful thing. And as we consider the way that the scribes were these religious hypocrites who were deceptively disguising their carnal appetites, it's important to understand that we still find the same sort of spiritual deceivers in the church today who are pretending to be pious people while simultaneously hiding their true intentions behind a facade of their incredible faith. That being the case, we would do well to consider the counsel that Paul presented to Pastor Timothy. And with this as the focus, hold your place here in the Gospel of Luke and let's turn in our Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 3. And as you make your way to the third chapter of 2 Timothy, I just want to take a moment to consider a few examples of this same sort of deception. I'll point you back to the days before the Church of England split away from the Roman Catholic Church. I want to focus in on the latter half of the 7th century. This is the time when the Archbishop of Canterbury decided to monetize forgiveness. That's right. An archbishop of the Roman Catholic Church authorized the sale of indulgences so that Roman Catholic parishioners could purchase the remission of sins in order to avoid the temporal punishments that they deserved. And you better believe that the wealthy Roman Catholics would go sin Saturday night and then show up Sunday morning with money in hand, purchasing what they believed to be the forgiveness of sins. Well, once the papacy in Rome realized that you could make money in this sort of way. Well, it didn't take long for the Roman Catholic Church to then cash in on people's desire to be forgiven. And it's sad to say that the sale of indulgences became a regular source of income for the Roman Catholic Church. By the time of the Crusades, it was common for wealthy Roman Catholics to purchase these indulgences. And not only that, but then uh, Leo X comes along and informs the parishioners that they could you know, uh, free a deceased loved one from purgatory with proper payment. You know, rather than you know, saying all the Hail Marys and the Our Fathers and everything that you need to try to hopefully one day spring someone that you love from purgatory, you know, you just give enough money and... And, and we'll, we'll spring them from the pokey. You know, there was a Protestant reformer named John Tetzel who described this sinful sale of indulgences with a simple rhyme, which he stated in this way, as soon as the coin in the coffer rings, the soul from purgatory springs. He created this rhyme as, as a way of just mocking what the Roman Catholic Church was actually doing. And it's sad that people fail to realize that Pope Leo X was nothing more than a deceiver who was disguising his carnal appetite for more money uh, by saying, hey, you know, we, we want you to have forgiveness and, and you want forgiveness. And so just come bring us some money and, and we'll secure that forgiveness for you. This is deception. He just had an appetite for more money. And it's sad to say that the Roman Catholic Church to this day still uses indulgences to, according to the catechism, 
encourage charity. Yeah, they want to encourage you to give more money to the Catholic Church for indulgences. Same basic lie. But now, lest I be guilty of just picking on the Roman Catholic Church, I want to fast forward to the 20th century where we see a similar sort of heresy creeping into many Protestant churches. This heresy became known as the prosperity gospel, which was initially popularized by Kenneth Copeland and Oral Roberts. We're talking about the word of faith movement. And it was during the early 20th century when Oral Roberts started uh, you know, to uh, scam his gullible audience by trying to convince them that those who sent money to his ministry could then turn around and enjoy health and wealth. It was with this as his goal that he coined his own phrase, and here how, here's how he put it, and I quote, have a need, plant a seed. Sounds awesome, right? You got a need, you need some health, you need some wealth. You know, you need your neighbor's dog silenced? Plant a seed. Well, what kind of seed are we talking about? Well, money, of course. You send his church money, and, and he guarantees the health and the wealth that you're seeking. It's sad to say that many have been duped by these prosperity preachers as this, this message infiltrated so many churches since then. But these prosperity preachers are simply disguising their own carnal appetites for more money. I'm reminded of my own grandmother who, you know, after dying, we went to go and start cleaning up her house and getting it ready for sale. And what do we find in her house? On every shelf, every tchotchke that TBN ever sold as a promise, you know, that, that you'll be blessed if you support this ministry, Right. Every single tchotchke, every little bit of, of anointing oil with the TBN logo on it, every little vial of holy water or prayer cloth or, or whatever it was, pieces of the cross, whatever. Yeah, she died broke, penniless, and with a house filled with garbage from TBN. Meanwhile, the people that she was sending money to are flying around in personal jets, living in gated communities, living high on the hog, so to speak. While gullible Christians like my grandmother live their, their final years pinching pennies trying to get by. It's a crime. That's why we need to understand how to identify these deceivers. With all this in mind, I want to consider the warning that Paul presents here in 2 Timothy chapter 3. Look with me there, beginning at verse 1. Here Paul declares, Know this, that in the last days perilous times will come, for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. But notice, they're going to have a form of godliness while denying its power. And from such people, turn away. For of this sort are those who creep into households and make captives of gullible women loaded down with sins, led away by various lusts, always learning, and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. 
In these verses, we find Paul helping his young protege to understand that the world would eventually be filled with these narcissists who are so completely in love with themselves that all they can do is just try to get for themselves and take what they can. They don't have natural affection for others because it's just all about them. Not only that, but we also learn that the church then would be filled with these false teachers who would come in having a form of godliness. There would be an appearance of godliness, and yet this appearance of godliness was nothing more than a disguise which would enable them to scam gullible Christians out of their income. And all according to their sinful appetites. The Apostle Peter confirms this in 2 Peter chapter 2. It's beginning at verse 1 where Peter declares there were false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them and bring on themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their destructive ways because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. By covetousness, they will make merchandise of you with deceptive words. For a long time, their judgment has not been idle and their destruction does not slumber. Listen, much like the the false prophets during the days of the Old Testament, there are also false teachers in the church today. And according to Peter, these false teachers use deceptive words to exploit us and make merchandise of us in order to satisfy their own covetous appetites. Much like the scribes during the days of Jesus, well, these false teachers in the church today are disguising their true intention so that we might follow after their destructive ways. And with that being the case, well, we would all do well to learn how to test the teachings of those who are trying to cash in on the Christian faith. And this brings us to our third and final point, because listen, the doctrinal deceivers who disguise their appearance and the doctrinal deceivers who disguise their appetites Well, these are the same doctrinal deceivers who are disguising their agenda. Now, with this as the focus, I want you to make your way back to Luke chapter 20. Here we find the Lord Jesus. He's continuing to warn his disciples about the disguise of those scribes. And so with that, let's back up and let's begin reading once again at verse 46. Here again, Jesus declares, Beware of the scribes who desire to go around in long robes, love greetings in the marketplaces, the best seats in the synagogues, and the best places at feasts, who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers." these will receive greater condemnation. Now here in the final verses of this chapter, we find the Lord Jesus. He's describing the scribes as those who present these long prayers, but as a pretense. Just to be clear, well, it'll help you to know that the word pretense found there at the end of verse 47, it's translated from a Greek word, which was used in reference to a pretended cause. The same word is used to describe a cloak of covetousness, which is used to disguise an individual's actual agenda. Therefore, the Lord Jesus here is informing his disciples that the long prayers offered by the scribes, they were actually deceptive measures designed to hide their hidden agenda. This certainly reminds me of the encouragement that the Lord Jesus presented when he spoke about the proper way to pray. It's actually in Matthew chapter 6 where he declares, when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But when you pray, go into your room, 
And when you have shut your door, pray to your father who is in the secret place, and your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Christian, listen, the prayers that we pray should never be used as a measure for manipulating the minds of the people who hear us pray. If you find yourself in the middle of a prayer and you're actually trying to use this prayer to manipulate the mind of someone who's in the room, stop it. It's sinful. That is not the right way to pray. I've even stopped someone who in the middle of their prayer, I could just tell that they were, they were they're preaching at me. They're not praying. And I just stopped them. Hey, if you got something to say to me, just say it. Don't pretend here. Don't pretend to be praying to the Lord when really you're just trying to rebuke me. Let's put the pretense aside when we pray and just realize that praying is an intimate connection that we have with our creator and it should not be used as a point of manipulation. We would do well to check our hearts when we pray lest we slip into the deceptive ways of these sinful scribes. You see, the scribes presented these long prayers in public in order to achieve their sinful agenda. They were presenting these long prayers so that people would go, ooh, wow, look at this guy. I, I wish I could be spiritual like, like them. But they weren't being spiritual. Their long prayers, it was all pretense. I like the way that Paul describes these deceivers. It's actually in Titus chapter one, where Paul informs Pastor Titus that they profess to know God, but in works they deny him, being abominable, disobedient, and disqualified for every good work. The religious leaders there in Israel, they would put on the right robes. They would look like religious men. They would profess to know God, and they would put on a good show as they stood on the corners presenting these long, elaborate public prayers but at the end of the day, it was all nothing more than pretense. They were pretending to be the spiritual servants of the Lord just so that they could advance their own sinful agenda. And it's sad to say that there are leaders in the church today who are following in the footsteps of those scribes. With this as the focus, I want to consider the counsel that Paul presented to Pastor Timothy. So if you would, let's turn in our Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 6. As you make your way to the sixth chapter of 1 Timothy, I just want to take a moment to consider the meaning of the word agenda. And just to be clear, it'll help you to know that the word agenda can be used in a positive sense. So the word agenda isn't always a negative thing. You know, you can have an agenda, uh, which would be nothing more than personal goals for uh, future achievements. So, or, or if you're a manager, you might enter into a meeting with an agenda, which is just a list of the matters that need to be discussed in the meeting. And so, you know, you can have a good agenda, I believe that as Christians, we have to have a good agenda. You know, the Great Commission by, by which we go out and lead the lost to Jesus Christ and disciple them so that they can become mature believers. I think that's a great agenda. But in a negative sense, the word agenda also speaks of a secret aim or a hidden purpose behind a person's decisions and actions. And it's in this sense that deceivers are guilty of disguising their agenda because they don't know, want us to know what they're really doing. With this in mind, I want to consider the warning that Paul presents here in 1 Timothy chapter 6. If you would look with me there, beginning at verse 3. Here Paul declares, if anyone teaches otherwise or does not consent to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which accords with godliness, he is proud, knowing nothing, 
but is obsessed with disputes and arguments over words from which come envy, strife, reviling, evil suspicions, useless wranglings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. From such, withdraw yourself. Paul here was helping Pastor Timothy to to realize that there would be these false teachers who would attempt to enter his church and influence the people there at his Christian congregation. But rather than, you know, encouraging the church to follow the wholesome words of the Lord Jesus Christ, these false teachers would come in following after their own agenda, which of course includes the proclamation of deceptive doctrines for the purpose of their own financial gain. And so Paul's equipping Timothy to recognize these false teachers, and then to withdraw from them. And listen, there are not only deceivers who are attempting to infiltrate churches through the front door so that they can cash in on unsuspecting Christians, but I want you to know that there are also deceivers who are using new media like YouTube or virtual churches They're using these platforms for presenting their useless wranglings, which are destitute of truth. And it's sad to say that many Christians are being led astray by these so-called teachers who are using social media sites to create controversy within the Christian church. They themselves are are not accountable to any pastor, but they want to, you know, start their own YouTube channel and draw you in so that you go and support them through their patron account. And and, and next thing you know, they're they're calling the church into question and, and it's all intended to deceive you. Knowing that these divisive deceivers will disguise their real agenda, Paul encourages us to avoid them like monkeypox in Belgium. I like the way that Paul put it in Romans chapter 16. It's there where he declares, Now I urge you, brethren, note those who cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you learned and avoid them. For those who are such do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly. And by smooth words and flattering speech, deceive the hearts of the simple In other words, the deceivers who attempt to divide Christian congregations with uh, false doctrines, they aren't serving our Savior. They're not servants of Jesus Christ. No, instead, they're simply serving their own appetites uh, according to their own personal agenda. And listen, they don't want to admit that they're serving their own desires. They don't want to admit that they have a secret agenda. And so they disguise their agenda with smooth talk and flattering words as they attempt to deceive the minds of naive people who don't really know what the word of God says. That being the case, Paul encouraged us to note those who cause divisions and offenses, and he tells us to avoid them. Don't go watch hours and hours of YouTube videos. Don't go support their Patreon don't, don't, don't go and, and you know, decide that you know, you're going to follow after this person online and churches at home now. None of that is biblical. The, these you know, teachers who come along and take a secondary or tertiary issue, uh, doctrinally speaking, and try to make an essential out of it and elevate this one issue you know, to, to the, the point of this, this should determine whether you go to a church or not, These people are trying to lead you astray. 
We need to be careful. We need to make sure that we keep essentials essentials and non-essentials non-essential. Because the teachers who come along and make essentials out of non-essentials and then want to determine, you know, whether you should, you know, follow them or not based on that non-essential, it's heresy. And it's based on their agenda for follow, you know, finding a following that they have no commitment to themselves because it's all about them making money off of you. We should also notice that Paul was encouraging us to avoid those who cause these divisions and offenses, which are contrary to the doctrine that accords with godliness. Now, with this as the goal, I want to take a moment to consider the instructions that Paul presents to Pastor Timothy because he provides us with a pretty good solution so that we can identify deceivers. And so if you would, turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 3. And as you make your way to the third chapter of 2 Timothy, well, I just want to take a moment to point out that the best way for us to identify and avoid the deceptive doctrines of these deceptive teachers, it's by spending time every day studying the scriptures so that we can know the truth because the truth is what sets us free from the deception. If you want to know whether this person is deceiving you or not, you got to know what is true. And listen, when, when I'm watching, you know, a YouTube video or I'm, someone sends me uh, some teaching and, and, and wants me to listen to it, and it doesn't take long for me to know whether, whether this is truth or not. Why? Well, because I know the doctrine of God's word. I know what is true. And so it doesn't take long for me to spot what is, what is false. And this is exactly what Paul is encouraging here in 2 Timothy chapter 3. Look with me here, beginning at verse 13. Here we learn that evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Now, now just real quick, does that, does that say right there, yeah, in the last days there's going to be revival and clear teaching and you know, everybody's going to be you know, saying what is true. And, no, no, no. It's not what it says. In the last days, evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse as they continue to deceive and be deceived. Yeah, just, just turn on TBN and, you, and next thing you know, you'll, you'll find you know, like, like six golden chairs with people sitting there talking and laughing about the Bible and, I, and you can just hear the deception. They're deceiving and being deceived as, as they deceive one another. Verse 14, he says, you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of knowing from whom you have learned them and that from childhood you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be complete and thoroughly equipped for every good work. According to Paul, the best way for us to identify imposters who are deceiving and being deceived is by taking the time to study the word of God. We need to take the time to study the word of God every single day. We need to study the scriptures. And he says, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. And just to be clear, he's talking about the Bible. We're not talking about the Upanishads. We're not talking about the Vedas. We're not talking about the Book of Mormon. Okay? We're not talking about the Quran. When he says all scripture, we're talking about the Bible. 
And so the Bible is able to make us wise for salvation by faith in Jesus Christ. And not only that, but the scriptures were provided to, to give us the doctrine that we need for the reproof, for the correction, and for the instructions in righteousness, which will keep us on course with truth. The Bible reproves us. The Bible corrects us. The Bible instructs us so that we know what is true and what is deception? And, and while all scripture from Genesis to Revelation is important for the Christian, I want you to know that the New Testament epistles are actually the doctrinal books which were given for the church age so that we can understand what the church ought to look like and how Christians should serve the Lord during these uh, church age days. So if you really want to pinpoint which scriptures will help you to know exactly what we need to avoid by way of deception, you need to know the New Testament epistles. You need to know the doctrinal teachings for the church age so that we can spot the false doctrines which are dividing churches. And as we study the scriptures which reprove and correct and instruct by the power of the Holy Spirit, we will become believers who are equipped and able to tear off the disguise of every deceiver. As we begin to wrap up this study, I just want to take a moment to remind you that doctrinal deceivers will disguise their appearance as they attempt to blend in with those who believe in Jesus Christ. Oh, they're wolves, but they want to enter the church wearing sheep's clothing so that we're deceived by their appearance. Doctor, doctrinal deceivers also disguise their appetite as they pretend to care for the sheep that they're actually trying to devour. And finally, doctrinal deceivers disguise, disguise their agenda as they profess to know God when in fact they're denying him with their own deceptive doctrines. And with all this being the case, we would all do well to realize that the church has been infiltrated by doctrinal deceivers. How else can you explain the very small number of pastors who actually have a biblical worldview. We must understand that the church has been infiltrated by deceivers who are masquerading as servants of the Savior. And it's for this reason that I encourage Christians to spend more time studying the scriptures so that we can know the doctrines that free us from deception. And as we discover the doctrinal instructions that are spelled out and defined in the New Testament epistles, the Holy Spirit will help us to become those believers who are thoroughly equipped and empowered to expose every doctrinal deceiver, no matter how well they're disguised. Let's pray.